I'm very, very inspired by the sovereignty goddesses of Ireland because they are a bridge between our world and the other world, which is potentially why, I mean, it makes sense why they would want to do these rites on Samhain when the veil between the worlds is thin and that woman who represented the goddess could stand at the threshold of those two worlds and really embody this otherworldly power. And yet she was also very connected to the land. And so there's this really, yeah, there's this opportunity for us as women to really feel the aliveness of the symbolism, the story, and feel how we as women are innately connected to the land. We're innately connected to the realms of the other world. And this is part of our magic. This is part of the magic we've been cut off from as well. Prophecies have foretold, and wisdom keepers all know, that the rise of the feminine will restore balance to our world. In this podcast, we are on a journey to understand the root of the imbalance that has caused disconnection and dysfunction within our humanity, so we can emerge as leaders, creating a new story on Earth. I'm Lauren Walsh. And I'm Shayna Connors. With humble hearts, and open minds, we will converse with spiritual teachers, historians, psychologists, revolutionaries, leaders, and healers to navigate these evolving times and reintegrate the feminine history that we have forgotten. Welcome to the Time of the Feminine podcast. Hello, beauties. Welcome to another episode of the Time of the Feminine podcast. Lauren here. And today, Shana and I have the great privilege of speaking with a beautiful soul. Her name is Tara Wild. She's a woman's educator, storyteller, and beautiful songstress, focusing on uplifting nature-based feminine wisdom and ancestral teachings from Ireland and Britain. She's been on a journey of remembering and reclaiming for over 10 years, honoring the earth-based feminine wisdom left in her blood and her bones. Mm, I love that. She's the creator of The Roundhouse, which is an online membership community that lovingly guides women into nature-based feminine wisdom from the Irish traditions. She also runs courses, ceremonies, and workshops that serve thousands of women every year. She's trained as a woman's moon circle facilitator with Moon Mana, based in Dublin, and as a caning and breathwork facilitator. She is also a priestess of the Rose, so definitely a sister. She journeys to Ireland and Britain regularly for pilgrimages, and she currently lives on the ancestral lands of the Ute and Arapaho people in the mountains of so-called Colorado, USA. I love your bio, Tara. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Time of the Feminine. Thank you, Lauren. So good to be here. Yeah, wonderful. Where did you grow up? That's a complicated question. <laughs> I've actually lived in a lot of different places, and uh, I spent a lot of time as a child on the East Coast, um, largely in Massachusetts, which is where my American family is based. And I also spent a lot of my childhood in England as well. And so, yeah, I kind of straddle both sides of the pond. And then I have a wide tapestry of ancestry from different parts of Europe, but especially um, 
ancestry from England and Ireland, and which is a very interesting dynamic to have because of the history of colonization and what have you, something I'm still very much working with. And so, yeah, I've been on this journey of really diving into the Irish tradition specifically ever since I went on pilgrimage there for two months about four years ago. So I really decided to connect with my Irish ancestry to learn about these traditions. Um, and I'd been on a learning journey before that pilgrimage. That's what led me there. But it's really deepened since then. That's when I trained with Moon Mana and various other teachers. And it's been a really beautiful reclamation because my Irish ancestry has largely sort of been forgotten in my family to some degree, even though I have it on both sides of my family. So it's been a really beautiful remembering. Mm. It's so interesting, the question, where did you grow up? Because I feel like for so many of us that are seeking and learning and remembering, we are still growing up. We are still remembering who we are and sinking our roots into the ground. And so I have a question for you regarding this like time period. I guess it was either 10 years ago or four years ago. But when you went to go remember your ancestors, what did you feel like was missing in your life? You know, what was kind mm. of coming up for you that caused you to seek something like that? Mm. Yeah. So my journey with the ancestors really began, let's see, it was about 12 years ago now when I was still living in England. And just feeling a sense of rootlessness. Um, I really, even as a child, I really sort of struggled with the culture in England and never quite felt like I belonged. And whether that's just because I have always been an old soul and just didn't really feel like I fit in or if it was the culture or what have you, I just felt like um, I was really longing for something deeper, a sense of rootedness. Also moving around a lot as a child um, kind of gave me a sense of rootlessness and a lack of belonging. I think really what I was looking for is a sense of belonging which is something so many of us are looking for, right? Because we have, our families and our ancestors have emigrated and have spread out and our families are spread out. And so our connection to land and lineage is very fractured oftentimes. Um, and I definitely feel that as an American in particular. So I was longing for that belonging. And uh, so that's really what set me on the path when I was in England and living there. And so, yeah, I've kind of been on this weaving journey, connecting with different parts of my ancestry. You know, the ancestors clearly tell me which, which lineages want to be honored at any given time. And so, yeah, I, I really have come to embrace the complexity of my heritage. I used to kind of see that as a, as a burden. You know, where do I belong? I don't feel like I belong anywhere because I don't really have roots, strong roots anywhere. But now I've come to see it as a blessing, uh, the complexity of it and the different threads I can follow and different parts of myself I can embrace and different traditions I can dive into and learn from. I feel like what you just shared gives our listeners so much permission. I feel like this, well, actually, I know because I have been surveying the women of the global sisterhood lately that one of the greatest pains from growing up in patriarchal culture, too, really is feeling disconnected and like we don't belong. And then the belonging piece is so important. And then when you gain awareness about, especially here in the United States, but really anywhere, because most land has been colonized at this point, you wonder like, where do I belong? Where are my people from? What am I indigenous to? And we had a call with one of our programs yesterday and we had our guest, Yeye Louisa Tish. I don't know if you know her. She's a Yoruban priestess. She's amazing. And she was speaking about how indigeneity 
is really about who is actually connecting and stewarding the land and more than just tending to the physical aspects of the land, but who is in reverence and in communication with that land and receiving its mysteries. And so it's so beautiful that you felt that call and you've been diving in to that. And I know today we have a very special conversation gonna ha- that's underway and we're going to lead into it because we're entering into the thinning veil of Samhain. And for those of you who don't know, Samhain is modern day Halloween, except its roots are very mystical, very ancient, and stem from Ireland. And so I want to just open up, speaking of ancestry, to talk about Samhain. Mm -hmm. There's so much to share about this sacred, magical festival. And when you're talking about the thinning of the veils, what we're really talking about is this moment in the year when the realm of the spirits comes into close contact with our physical realm. And there's this, there's this beautiful connection that happens and this crossing over and that divide becomes very mystical and full of opportunity to connect with our ancestors, to connect with the spirits of the other world, with the gods and goddesses of old for those of, you know, for those of us who honor those uh, deities. And, you know, in particular, it's a really deep time to do ancestral healing. And it's also a really deep time for us to connect with our magic as women, our magic and our medicine, which has been so severed for such a long time. I know that your listeners are interested in these kinds of topics and talking about, um, you know, the impact of patriarchy and what have you. And of course, we have this whole history in, in Europe in general of the witch hunts and women being persecuted for their medicine and their magic and their wisdom and their connection to the earth and the way they stewarded and tended the earth. And the way that they, they served their communities as medicine women, as midwives, as doulas of death. And so we have this really, really deep wound, ancestral wound of that severance. And, uh, you know, different regions in Europe were affected differently by the witch hunts. In Ireland, for example, there were not very many witch hunts, but there are other, there's one particular example that I can think of where women were strongly persecuted for this wisdom, medicine, magic that I'm talking about. So as women, it feels like a powerful time for us to connect with our women ancestors during the portal of Samhain and really listen to them and acknowledge the pain that they experienced, whether they themselves were persecuted or they were around it, you know, they were in the environment of it, and to really do some deep healing together. You know, I think sometimes people kind of romanticize ancestor work and, you know, kind of go, oh, Samhain, I'm going to leave some offerings for my ancestors. I'm going to receive their blessing, which is all beautiful. And there's such a a missed opportunity and deeper invitation to do this kind of deeper shadow work and healing work. And for me, um, you know, Samhain, of course, is the darkest time of the year. So doing shadow work at this time is very potent, very powerful. And of course, there are particular ways that we as women can, can do that work. So I have a question about Samhain's date, because I heard Mm -hmm. that we call it October 31st every year, but actually traditionally it was based on the stars. Yeah, so it's quite a complicated thing. So basically a lot of the ancient festivals now have sort of a fixed date 
in the calendar year, such as Samhain, which we now sort of associate with being on October 31st, Samhain Eve in particular. And part of this comes from the way that Christianity kind of overlaid on top of the older pagan traditions. And so Samhain Eve is also All Souls Night in the Christian faith. And in Ireland, there's actually often a weaving between paganism and Christianity. Um, sometimes it's not always talked about that way, but essentially we have these much older native pagan traditions being woven into a Christian expression, a Christian context. And that's what we have with All Souls Night. We have the older traditions of Samhain surviving on through the evolution of the traditions. But yes, originally Samhain was a specific moment when when the sun is at a specific point in the sky. So we actually um, know that our ancestors from Ireland celebrated Samhain at least 5,000 years ago. And that's because there are specific monuments, burial mounds, passage tombs from the Neolithic period that align with the sunrise on Samhain. So this year, Samhain, true Samhain, is on November 7th. And, you know, for me, it's always... These festivals always have sort of a, a period of time where we can feel the energies. There's like a portal period. It's really beautiful to honor the true alignment of the sun as the exact moment. But I also very much celebrate on October 31st. And I celebrate when the new moon is happening nearest these festivals too. So there's many ways to celebrate. But yeah, I hope that answers your question about the dates. So let's talk a little bit more about the origin, because I recently became privy to this as I visited both Klakada and the Hill of Tara in County Meath, where my ancestors hail from. Mm -hmm. So I would love for you to share a little bit more about that. Yeah, so there are different stories about the origins of Samhain, and there's really a lot of wisdom to draw from. It's not quite as simple as, you know, a, a naming a specific place or a specific story. There are a few places that are important to Samhain. So I mentioned a moment ago, we have these Neolithic monuments that align with Samhain. So we have, um, there are two in particular that I'll, that I'll mention. So we have Loch Roo, which is in County Meath as well. And this is actually, this is a very, very old monument with um, burial mounds that align with all eight festivals, sacred festivals around what we now call the Wheel of the Year. And so there's a mound there that aligns with Samhain. We also have the Hill of Tara, which you mentioned, and the Mound of Hostages there is also aligned with the sunrise on Samhain. And there were also some very important rites, um, inauguration rites that took place at Tara, which I can talk more about um, a little later. We then have the Hill of Klokta, where there were definitely Samhain rituals happening in older times. And, and it's thought that this was the place where the first Samhain fire was lit. And so all the sort of surrounding hilltops, including the Hill of Tara, would have lit their Samhain fires after Klokta which I think is just such a beautiful image, imagining. From the same flame, correct? I don't know that it was from the same flame. Uh, maybe oh. it was. I, I don't know that's that That's what it I heard. I heard that. Statistically, that sounds very hard. <laughs> that's what I heard. I heard that that was they would light the fire and then all the surrounding hills and villages would have the same flame ignite for the rest of the year, all of their fires. Oh, okay. I think may maybe what you're referring to and maybe I'm wrong here, but I think it's, I think it's this. People would extinguish their fires sometimes on the sacred festivals and bring the embers from their hearths 
to light the community fire. And then the community fire would then relight the fire in people's homes, their hearts. Mm. Maybe, maybe that's what it is. Yeah. I'm just trying to imagine logistically how they would light fires anyways. And walk that um, many miles. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's there's this really beautiful connection between the hearth and then the community fire that happens in a lot of the sacred festivals. Yeah. Um, and then there's also one other location I want to mention, which is the Cave of Cats, which is in County Roscommon, called Uevnagach. And this is thought to be the birthplace of Samhain. That's sort of the story. And it's very, this place is very associated with the Morrigan and also with Queen Maeve. And I, I had the privilege of going there in August, and it is truly a magical, magical a sacred site. It's kind of a lesser known sacred site. And there's a very ancient story from the medieval period called The Adventure of Nira. And it kind of talks about this as the birthplace of Samhain and how the Morrigan kind of emerges from Samhain and from the cave and what have you. So yeah, it's a very beautiful story, uh, very mystical. And uh, so yeah, there's lots of places in Ireland associated with, with Samhain, its origins, its ancient history. So before we go deeper into the festival and the rites, I want to give a little bit of cultural context and maybe you can paint a picture. Because when we think of modern day Ireland, we think of, you know, post-colonialization. Like what was Ireland like during this time? What were Mm -hmm. the people like? Well, we're talking about lots of different timelines. That's quite a complex question because of course, Ireland has such a, a rich history And so, yeah, there's a lot to share about it. Um, You know, I mentioned the Neolithic mounds, which were built by the Neolithic people who were originally from Antolia, I think it was. Antola, Antolia, I forgot how to say that. That's originally where those people were from. And they came to Ireland in 4000 BC to farm. Before that, it was a a totally different group of people who were hunter-gatherers. So the Neolithic people built the burial mounds. We then have the introduction of the Beaker people, which was around 2500 BC to 2000 BC, there was like this transition. And there's actually this fascinating DNA evidence that's recently come out showing how these people actually completely dominated and took over the island. So then we have those people and they kind of brought in the very beginnings of Celtic culture, which kind of solidified more in there's still a lot of questions around this, a lot of debate around this, but solidified in later centuries. Um, and then, you know, we move into the Iron Age, we move into the medieval period when Christianity was introduced, and that's a different Ireland. So there's so much history here. So it's it's a little hard. <laughs> do you have a specific time period that you would like me to speak to? And I'll yeah, do specifically around, well, two things are interesting to me. One, that these burial tombs, these passage tombs, that so beautifully align with astrological events, right? They become illuminated. That is some serious technology. You know, that's some serious wisdom. Yet we have these philosophies that in life, you know, it's kind of a assumption that we're continuing, we're evolving, right? We're evolving, we're evolving, and these people were primitive people. However, that seems unlikely if they can do that type of math, right? And so... My curiosity really is in your, even in your own intuitive exploration with your ancestral roots, it doesn't have to be fully historical based. And at the origins of Samhain, just I'm curious of giving, I'm wanting to paint some historical picture and some energetic framework so that we can go into the mystical elements 
backed with some with some solidity for people so that they can really feel the full spectrum of the importance of this period and what the ancient people there understood. Yes, I can speak to that. For most of Ireland's history, people were earth-honoring people and sky-honoring people. So you were just mentioning, you know, these, these Neolithic mounds are incredible. They align to such specific alignments in the sky. That's really a testament to how much they were watching the skies and what it really meant to them to really feel their place inside of this universe, right? However, they might have comprehended that. And at the same time, they're very earth honoring as well. And the, the mounds are very womb-like in nature, right? Which I find really beautiful. And when the sun, comes into those passages that is very uh, masculine in nature, I suppose, like the penetration of the womb. So we have this literal symbol of the divine feminine, divine masculine. And there's a really amazing book uh, called Sacred Isle by Dahio Hogan, which talks about the what some of those ancient people, those Neolithic people might have believed. And he talks about that, how the womb is, you know, potentially this feminine energy and the the sun is this masculine energy. And throughout a lot of Ireland's ancient history, we have this very magical mystical union between the masculine and feminine. So I just spoke about it in sort of um, in terms of the monuments and Neolithic peoples. But we have this continued tradition, uh, which is very connected with Samhain, actually, where we have, um, you know, the masculine kind of representing the king in society. And then we have the feminine representing what's called the sovereignty goddess, the goddess of the land. And this, there was a ritual on Samhain where a woman would stand in the place of the goddess, the sovereignty goddess, and she was ceremonially married to the king. And this was the inauguration rite. And so this would actually happen at the Hill of Tara. And it would happen on Samhain, uh, probably right near the Mound of Hostages, where we have, you know, the sun entering the chamber there. And so there's this really mystical and very sacred um, symbolism between the masculine and feminine. And I'm very, very inspired by the sovereignty goddesses of Ireland because they are a bridge between our world and the other world which is potentially why, I mean, it makes sense, why they would want to do these rites on Samhain when the veil between the worlds is thin and that woman who represented the goddess could stand at the threshold of those two worlds and really embody this otherworldly power. And yet she was also very connected to the land. So sovereignty rights would have happened in all the different kingdoms. So in ancient Ireland, there were five kingdoms. And so each kingdom would have its own sovereignty goddess and they would have their own inauguration rights. So I'm talking about um, the Hill of Tara right now, which is uh, the kingdom of Nida, which is uh, the middle kingdom. And so there's this really, yeah, there's this opportunity for us as women to really feel the aliveness of the symbolism, the story, and feel how we as women are innately connected to the land. We're innately connected to the realms of the other world. And this is part of our magic. This is part of the magic we've been cut off from as well. And we see that in the witch hunts, as I was mentioning earlier, and other events that happened over about 400 years. And so, yeah, I, I kind of went on a tangent there, but hopefully <laughs> that was illuminating and answered some of your question. And what I find so beautiful about at, at least the ancient Celtic culture is there was such an appreciation for women, you know, of the womb space, of 
this fact that there was like a deep connection to the earth. I'm curious specifically about the these women who uh, were bestowed with the honor of becoming the sovereignty queen. Queen? Sovereignty. Uh, yeah. So they embodied the sovereignty goddess. Yeah. Goddess. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so what was the prerequisites for becoming a woman who was able to stand for that? I have no idea. <laughs> I don't think we know that, uh-huh. but I can only imagine that she was, she'd been trained very in a lineage, right? Um, she'd been trained by her elders and she had perhaps even been born into a specific family that mm. was conducive, you know, conducive to that. And these rites, importantly, actually lasted until the 1600s. So there is a very long standing history of these rites. And really, um, from what I understand, they, they died out because of the colonization of, from the English. So, yeah, it was really such an important right. So they lasted, these rites lasted into the era of Christianity. That's how important they were. Mm-hmm. And then can we talk a little bit about the role of women, you know, and maybe mm-hmm. how it changed and what it was like maybe in earlier times? Yeah. So I have, I have such a big question in my heart around when did the patriarchy really come to Ireland? Uh, how did that happen? I'm actually writing a, a fiction novel that is exploring this idea and is very connected to a lot of what we're talking about, the sovereignty goddesses. And the main character is a woman who stands in the place of the goddess and enacts those rights. So yeah, it's, it's a real question for me. Like, how did the patriarchy come in? And of course, there's never like a defining moment. It happens over time. And I definitely know that colonization brought it in more strongly, let's say. It's interesting because the the Beaker people I was talking about earlier who came to Ireland in 2500 BC, they were, they kind of introduced the culture of the warrior and the war chiefs and really asserted this kind of masculine power. At least this is my understanding from all the research I've done for my book. And so for me, you know, that's maybe when it began, let's say. I don't know. That's, that's pure speculation. But basically that marked the beginning of the age of metal when war started. And interestingly, if you look at classical astrology, um, you know, we have these different eras, these 2000 year eras that happen. Like we're moving into the age of Aquarius, right? Back then they were actually moving into the age of Taurus. And so that's the age of war, essentially. That's when metal came to Ireland, basically, which I find really fascinating. And just FYI, (laughs) just to clarify, we don't know what the um, Irish ancestors, how they honored astrology, classical astrology is from somewhere else. So that's just kind of a connection that I've made. But yeah, I think that it's very clear in Ireland in general that the different roles between men and women have always been somewhat separate. So there were roles for women and roles for men. And I think for a long time, those roles would have been equal, but different. So going back to the woman who would stand in the place of the goddess, right, and enact these rights. So that was a very powerful position. And then the king obviously is a very powerful position, but they're separate, but equal roles for men and women, if that makes sense. So it's kind of my sense from what I understand that there was this sense of equality for quite a long time, these equal but different roles. And the patriarchy kind of came in at different times in different ways. As well as Christianity, because I love what you said about the overlay of Christianity into pagan traditions. Mm -hmm. And have you read The Way of the Rose? Mm -mm. It's a book about the rosary. 
And it's a book about how the pagans of old Europe used to pray to the goddess on beads of garlands, like garlands. They would have like strings of garlands. And when Christianity came into the picture, they knew that wiping out the goddess, their faith was so profound, that wiping out the goddess would be nearly impossible. So they turned her into the Virgin Mary. Mm -hmm. And they took the practice of praying on garlands and made it into the rosary. Mm. And just so happens, I love the rosary. I love it. I pray the rosary as, a, as an ode, as a way to connect with the goddess. And so reading that book was super liberating for me because I got to both, you know, I think in my life and my spiritual path, I think there was a period where I needed to reject my Christian heritage to find what I truly felt and belonged. And then there was a part of me that realized that in that rejection, I lost some kind of faith because there was trauma and there was wounding. And so in reclaiming an aspect of my old spirit, my old tradition, the religion I came from, and something that felt like I could readopt for myself, I was in, it was like an integration that opened up my path to prayer because that's how my ancestors prayed. That's how the women in my lineage for hundreds of years prayed. So I just wanted to share that. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I definitely went through a phase of just totally rejecting Christianity. It was so triggering to me. And I was like, I, I'm a pagan. I love the goddess, like no Christianity. And I've, I've really come to a, a different understanding now, similar to you, where I recognize that so many of my ancestors prayed to Mother Mary. My grandmother prays to Mother Mary and she prays the rosary and I love my grandmother. And I can't just totally reject all that because there's so much goodness. And there is that honoring of the divine feminine um, with Mother Mary as well. And so, yeah, I've kind of come to a different understanding and also realizing that, you know, we can't just say this is pagan Ireland or this is pagan Europe and this is Christian Europe. You know, it wasn't like that. There was this weaving, there was this evolution and things evolved. And so these are living traditions. And so I think it's important to honor that spectrum. And so even though I am a pagan loving goddess, loving woman, <laughs> I also honor that it's not quite that simple. There's different complexities there and different threads to honor. And what I love about what you shared about the divine masculine having emerging in the designs of the passage tombs and on these monuments is it also reminds us of the divine father, the divine masculine component. I think a lot of times when women are rejecting their strict patriarchal religions, they go full feminine. And I feel like she can reintroduce you to the divine masculine because it's really about that balance. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. There's so many, so many beautiful stories about the sacred masculine in Ireland and Britain, and we can't forget that and that balance is needed. Absolutely. And I very much focus on the goddesses, but I also like in my personal practice and in my life, I really do honor the masculine in my own way as well. So I'm fully with you. So can we start to talk more about this change in season? where we're mm -hmm. going and this this yeah. idea of the underworld too and how that connects in a pagan way. Mm -hmm. Yes. So, yeah, so it's interesting uh just it just feels like important to 
to explain before I begin talking about that. In the Irish tradition, in Britain and other Celtic nations, you know, in these old traditions, there isn't an underworld, but an other world. So there's not this sense of like up and down. Underworld kind of implies this like below world. It's not quite like that. It's kind of a different expression. It's the other world is very much just around us all the time and interweaves with our world. Um, so it's kind of like this parallel existence, like t- it's not quite like a heaven and hell, like an upper world and a lower world, if that makes sense. The other world is where the spirits live? Yes. So basically, our world is the world of the living. And then the other world is the realm of the ever living, the spirits. So that includes the ancestors, the gods and goddesses, you know, and it includes the fairies. It includes many things. Um, so yeah, it's the realm of the spirits. So this is really the, the focus of Samhain is this thinning of the veils, this, the spirits coming into our realm. And, and this isn't always benevolent, right? So there were actually, um, especially as we move more into Christian times, there's more of this like superstition of you don't want to be out late on Samhain Eve and what have you. But people would, um, you know, we have a, a clear, a record of the folk traditions where people would leave their door unlatched and their window open. They'd leave a candle in the window. They'd leave a seat by the fire. They'd leave offerings, um, food offerings in particular, so that the ancestors and the spirits could come in and and stay basically for a while during Samhain Eve and feel welcomed. So yeah, it wasn't just ancestors. You know, you could also, you might also leave your door open for a loved one that you've just lost, right? So it's all different kinds of spirits. Um, but yeah, it's so beautiful that there's this tradition of really feeding the ancestors as well. So leaving offerings for them, especially in the form of food. And this is something that's actually very, very ancient as well. So just to kind of demonstrate like how these traditions evolve over time, in the Neolithic period, we've been talking about the burial mounds, we have evidence of the ancestors leaving um, food vessels inside the chambers. Not necessarily on Samhain, although maybe, you know, I kind of like to think maybe they did that on Samhain because they're feeding the ancestors, right? And so we have them leaving these, these food vessels in these um, ceramic jars, right? And then as we move further in time and we come to even just, you know, the past few hundred years and what have you, we have this tradition of um, people in Ireland doing something called the dumb supper. And this is where you leave a plate of food on your table for the ancestors, for the spirits. So again, feeding the ancestors. And this is something that is found in so many cultures all around the world. It's not unique to Ireland. But it's really, really beautiful and very powerful. And it's this sense of being in communion with our ancestors, with our loved ones who've passed, with the spirits who are around us all the time. You know, we're still being guided by the prayers of our ancestors. We're still being guided by their wisdom. So it's a way of honoring them, to feed them, to to welcome them into your home and leave a warm seat by the fire for them. So I'm going to go into a concept that I've never spoken about out loud. The other world. At this time, in my understanding, there was, like you said, the living world and then the other world. And all sorts of, or the ever-living, right? Some have referred to it as the land of the dead, but like the ever-living. Their spirits live on. And it's a world where um, there are certain traditions and lore about how you can have a good place in the other world. But there's a whole mixed bag. Maybe this isn't wrong. Maybe you can correct me on this, but this is kind of what I understand. And then this idea like 
come Christian influence, this idea of resurrection and ascension came into the consciousness of humanity, which then brought this idea of, okay, within the next dimension, there are many different levels and dimension. It kind of brought this like almost hierarchical concept within mm-hmm. both the living world and the other world. And I'm curious about this because while we consider hierarchy a bad thing, you see it in nature to some degree. You see this synergistic, harmonious circle of life that if you see it from one lens, you're like, oh, but there's hierarchy. There's like the animal kingdom and things like that. And so I'm just thinking about if you can apply nature to these other dimensions the other world and these various dimensions of quote-unquote ascension or descension and how you think about that? Mm, That's a really deep question. (laughs) Yeah, I'm really, I'm sitting with that question for a moment here. Um, Yeah, it's so interesting. So I'm just going to kind of riff off of what you said. I don't know if it's necessarily going to be an answer. Let's flow, um, baby. (laughs) So yeah, it's really interesting in Christianity and other religions that there's this sense of like up and down this kind of hierarchy like in Christianity you either go to heaven or you go to hell and there's kind of different levels in between almost to me the more pagan traditions are more horizontal it's an even level field if that makes sense this is so much about being with earth and feeling our place on the earth and there's different realms, like there's different pockets and different realms of the other world. It's like the other world is a dimension. And then there's kind of different realms within that. And we see that in all the different stories from Ireland and what have you. And so it's to me, there's, and there's also this really strong sense of locality in the more pagan traditions and just in general, in older times, you know, we have such a global worldview right now, but In times before, it was very much like a localized understanding of your world and your life and your place in it. And so for me, it's like, I think we've lost this sense of connection spiritually to the land and to our place on the land because we've been severed from a sense of locality, because we have this sense that in death, we're either going to, we're going to leave, you know, we're going to go up, we're going to go down, you know, whatever that is. And for me, um, it's, it feels really meaningful to actually feel a sense that this is, this is exactly where we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be here on earth. We're not supposed to leave. <laughs> like we're, we're here to really be here. That's our experience of being alive and also in death to really still be connected to the land of our ancestors, for example, to be connected with a sense of locality because our ancestors would have been buried in these mounds. And the mounds are also, by the way, a gateway to the other world. They're, um, they're otherworldly places. So it's like we're brought in death into the mounds, into these otherworldly realms, but they're very connected to earth still. This is kind of my riff off of what you shared. Yeah, and I, I think it brings me such peace in my heart when you talk about this because it's just a deep connection to the earth and the idea that each one has a place without this hierarchical structure of needing to be anything other than you are, to be worthy of belonging. And I'm curious about the other world when it comes to dreaming, because it feels like dreaming is the other world too. Mm -hmm. And so I'm curious about anything you have to say about that. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, our dreams are absolutely an expression of the other world. We can also go into states of dreamwalking where we're awake, but we're, we're dreaming, right? We're entering into that other world, the continuum. And there are specific places in Ireland, for example, where I very much feel that it's like you, you step onto the land and you're in, you're weaving with the other worlds and we see this in the stories too, where people accidentally stumble into the other world because they're in a particular time at a, in a particular place. Again, that real sense of like locality and place. That's really what I most strongly feel from these traditions is a sense of rootedness in place. And that's always what I'm moving towards in my spiritual practice. And so, yeah, it feels really um, beautiful to honor our connection to the other world in regards to where we are on the land. And of course, we can do that wherever we are. You know, um, I obviously have a deep <laughs> land connection with Ireland and with Britain as well. Um, but, you know, we can do that wherever we are. We can really move into those other states of consciousness where we can access the other world, where we can feel the guidance of our ancestors through our dreams. As you were mentioning, you know, dreams is one way we can access the other world and have a relationship with these, the spirits. So yeah, I've had some, uh, it's really interesting, actually. I feel like I have a very magical life, but my dreams are incredibly boring. <laughs> and on occasion, though, I'll have a really magical dream. And that's when I know, like, wow, that was meaningful. That was spiritual, you know. And often I'll feel the presence of my ancestors in those dreams. Yeah, actually, last year around Samhain, I led a three-day retreat for women to heal their matriarchal lineage and to really dive into that deep ancestral healing after the three days, you know, I was, I was totally exhausted, but so nourished and so fed at the same time. And that night I had the most magical dream. I was walking in this golden sunlight and I just felt the blessing of my ancestors and they were just all around me. And it was so simple, but so beautiful. It was just this sense of being on the land, being embraced by the sun and being embraced by my ancestors. Yeah, our dreams are a really beautiful indication of of signs coming through from our ancestors sometimes. Yeah. So that's a good segue into a story I want to tell you, Tara, about my proposal in Klakada and also Hilatara. But it also is really about ancestral healing. Um, and it bridges the other world with the waking world and not through dreams, but through communication waking communication. And I think that's a beautiful thing to bring in. I had this experience about a year and a half ago or two years ago, not the first time, but I had a full bodied mediumistic experience where through my body came a suffering woman and it was incredibly intense. And luckily I was in ceremony with sisters and they circled me and they cared for her. And when this woman left my body, I was left like a ghost laying on the ground, completely drained of energy. And this experience was different than ones I'd had before. And I knew it. There was something close because when she came through, she showed me a vision of the trauma she had experienced. And I was reliving it with her. But I had seen that trauma before. Years before, I had issues with my womb. And I was getting craniosacral with this amazing man. He's a wizard. He's also my cousin. And I was on the table when he, I felt this click 
And it was like my ovary went back into place. It was quirked. And I had this vision, this horrific vision of this sexual trauma. Wasn't in my lifetime. So when she came back, maybe like eight years later, I had this vision again. And as I laid there, I got a message, and I won't repeat that message, but I got a message that there was a trauma in my body that had to do with my, the line of my father and my paternal ancestral line. And I really began to process this, that the trauma was still in my body. And so I began to do more somatic work, more like traditional work around it. Nine months after that, I had another experience where she came back, this time with my partner at the time who was my boyfriend. We weren't engaged yet. And he had the sense about him, which is why I love him, to be able to hold this spirit and commune with this spirit. And in this time, she told me that she was my ancestor and also showed me a vision of this place in Ireland that she wanted me to go to. And mind you, I've had encounters with otherworldly dimensions, but never ever have I had somebody tell me they're my ancestor and I want you to go to this place. <laughs> I'm like, am I crazy? Am I completely making this up? This is like, what? this is a whole other level. Like I'm going to go across the world to this place because of this experience. But it just so happens we were already going to go. We were already going to Europe. And so I was like, okay, then... The next day that this happened, I had been introduced to Karen from Moon Mana from a sister here in the Global Sisterhood. And I had no idea who this woman was. And it was just a random call. And the next day I was like, I have to tell you, this might sound weird, but this is my experience I had yesterday. Can you help me find this place that I'm supposed to go? And her advice was to find out where my people hail from, my father's line, which was County Mead. And... So I shared what she said and she gave me a description. And what I understood is that I needed to go somewhere that was sacred, that was near this river. And I like kind of did research and I felt out and I really felt called to the River Boyne with, that goes through that whole county. And anyway, long story short, we decide we're going to Ireland. We're not going to book a place to stay. We're going to get in a car and we're going to follow my nose. And I knew I wanted to go to Hill of Tara, obviously. I had no idea about Klakada. I had no idea about that. But we found a place that was like 15 minutes from Hill of Tara. And, I, and it was also right on the River Boyne. And we're like, okay, we should do ceremony because the request of my ancestor was to deliver the pain back to the specific land. That's what she wanted from me. And that's so talking about locality, I was kind of confused about that. But actually now talking to you, I understand. Like she wanted a release of the karma on a specific location. And she had shown me that vision. And then we ended up doing in the near the the home we were in, we decided we it might it might get weird. So we decided to do it inside. <laughs> and so inside we had a ceremony, the two of us, and he, you know, spoke to her in such a way that was super about the life force of the land when she came through and I felt her release. And then after that, after we were complete with our ceremony, we found out that we were just five minutes away from this place called Hill of Ward, the modern day term. Ward is my father's name. And then we find out that it's Klakada and it's connected to Salwyn. 
And that's where the fires of rebirth, symbolizing the rebirth, were lit. And I'm born on the Day of the Dead, which is All Souls Day, which is connected to Samhain. So we were like, let's go. And it was there that he felt that with the release of this trauma of my father's line that I released there, that he felt it was appropriate to propose. And this rebirth took place for us. And then, because Klakada has a lot of sheep and sheep poop, and he proposed in sheep poop, we then went to the hill of Tara, where he proposed again. (laughs) Wow. I have just full body spirit bumps hearing your story. You know, it's, I suppose there, there are people who, and even those of us who are magical, sometimes we doubt, right? We doubt, is this real? Is, is my spiritual experience real? Are my dreams real? Are my conversations with the ancestors real? And your story is just a testament that yes, (laughs) it's so real. And I mean, yeah, and also just magic things happen in Ireland. Every time I go there, it's everything's in such divine flow and synchronicities just everywhere. So yeah, your story is just so moving to hear. And hopefully, yeah, reassuring to everyone listening that these experiences matter and these experiences are real. So what advice would you give to women to safely begin to feel into the other side of the veil in honor of their ancestors. And also, I love what you said. It's not always easy because some of our, most of us have ancestry that has a lot of pain and trauma. So what would be your guidance? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think for someone who's just beginning to make this connection, really just stating clearly that you want to connect with the wise and well ancestors of your lineage. And feeling the lineage. So it's just important to acknowledge here that ancestor work and tending the ancestral lineage is something that has not been done in most of our lineages for a very long time. You know, I I really feel that there was a time when people would really tend their lineage and tend their ancestors and make sure that the ancestors of the lineage were in a good place, right? They were in an energetically good place in terms of being well and being healed and what have you. So for someone just starting, you know, it's, it's sometimes easier to, to go back further to a, a time in the lineage where the lineage is very well and very healed, if that makes sense, where it's, it's bright. Like I often imagine it as, as in terms of light, right? So imagining like, imagining the thread of your lineage going back, 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 back. And then there's a certain point where the lineage just starts getting really bright and you're like, wow, these ancestors are are really vibrant, right? Because they've had all that time to work through their, their traumas and they've maybe been tended by the living, you know, by our ancestors further back in the line. So connecting with those ancestors, those wise and well ancestors is sometimes a good place to start. And it can be kind of hard to like get your head around like how far back, like just don't worry about, just use your intuition. Don't worry about when, you know, anything like that. Just kind of just set your awareness back and really visualize the lineage. So you could imagine it as um, like a, a thread with uh, that has light spots and dark spots, and then hopefully a spot in the lineage where it gets really, really bright for an extended period of time. You might also imagine it as like a, a river 
and maybe the river is kind of blocked by boulders in some areas where there's trauma, where there's pain. And then there's a section of the river that's running really smoothly, right? So I think using visualization like that, it's very simple, but just allows you to kind of get a sense for your lineage and also acknowledging that you obviously have different threads of your lineage, right? So I actually did a Daniel Force course um, on ancestral healing. I forget what it's called right the second. But anyways, if you looked up Daniel Four ancestral healing, you'll find that course. And he talks about four primary lineages. He also has a book. And actually, that might be a great thing to, to get in honor of Samhain is his book. And he talks about four primary lineages. So basically, if you look at your grandparents, if you take your grandmother on your mother's side and you go, you basically follow the women of that lineage. And then you take your grandfather on your mother's side and follow the men of that lineage. And same on your father's side, the women, the men. So basically taking your four grandparents and kind of following the genders back. And of course, we're talking very gender binary here, but um, hopefully you can adapt that if you have a different sense of gender in your family. Um, so that's also a good place to start is like tuning into your four primary lineages. Um, and again, just really calling on your wise and well ancestors. If you're more used to doing ancestor work, if you're more used to communing with spirits, then you might feel called to do some healing with your ancestors. You might find someone to help guide you into that experience. Um, I'm actually hosting a Samhain ceremony on November 1st, um, primarily for women. Uh, and we're really going to actually dive into the, the kind of witch wound and the women who are persecuted because of their medicine, wisdom, magic, and do some healing with the lineage. So if you're called to do some ancestral healing and that speaks to you, then you might like to join me on November 1st. Uh, so yeah, those are a few suggestions and hopefully that's helpful. So any other, I don't know, final notes about how one in this modern world can approach Samhain and really honor this time? Yeah. Yeah. I think Samhain is a, is a time of reflection. You know, we're going into the dark season. It is a time for visioning and dreaming and just allowing us ourselves to simply be um, you know, it's a time for rest and renewal and rebirth. And the energy of the darkness is so potent. You know, uh, there, there are many people who kind of veer away from the dark um, in spiritual practices and what have you. It's like all about the light and the love. And, you know, and there's, I, it's not to disrespect that. It's just that we really, in my view, have to also go into the shadow and Samhain is really a time to purge, to release. And we all need that, you know, and we need to allow space for that. So really beginning to slow down, you know, starting now and allowing yourself to kind of tune into your inner realms and your dreams, you know, pay attention to your dreams or your ancestors maybe coming through your dreams in some ways. Leave, you know, offerings for your ancestors, maybe leave a plate of food on your table on Samhain Eve. And just really um, acknowledge the lineage. I think more than anything, I've noticed that ancestral healing is so much about acknowledgement and remembering what happened to our ancestors and acknowledging the hardships and all of the wisdom that was lost because of those hardships through patriarchy, colonialism, white supremacy, what have you. You know, there's there's so much to heal, so much to acknowledge. And so just remembering. And I think I'll just share that uh, last Samhain, actually, um, this is a fun story. So, well, a few years ago, this is where the story begins. I was staying with my parents in Massachusetts and um, I was meditating and I 
I felt my grandmother, my, my father's mother, very, very strongly. And she came and she sat with me and she gave me a message. She said, you, you, you need to ask your father for something that's yours, that's mine. And it's something small. It's, it's, a, it's hidden away somewhere and you need to ask him to find it. <laughs> and I was kind of like, grandma, that's really cryptic. <laughs> like, <laughs> could you be more clear? But, um, it was, it was a really strong message. And so, you know, my dad is a scientist and he's very logical and not, not interested in this kind of thing at all. So I, I was like, look, dad, you're going to think this is crazy, but you know, and I told him what she said. And I was like, could you take a look around and think like what, you know, what she might, what this could mean basically. And he's kind of like, Oh, okay, whatever, you know, like totally dismissed it. And then the day that I was leaving to come back here, he comes up to me and he's like, um, I, I just found these in the attic and I don't know if you want them, you know, very, not like acknowledging <laughs> my experience, just like here, you know, and it was this big stack of letters that my grandmother had written to my father over the years because my, my dad was living in America and she was living in England. So um, it's this big stack of letters and uh, I was feeling a little intimidated. I kind of got like a heavy feeling from the letters energetically. I was like, okay, like there's a lot here. But last Samhain, I was like, I'm going to read these letters. So I, uh, I had the house to myself for the night. I set my, um, you know, the table setting for the ancestors and I sat down with these letters and I read a lot of them and I cried and there's so much like grief and family pain, but also like joy and love. And it was just so beautiful. And I still like, ah, oh, yeah. And just honoring the pain of my most recent ancestors, you know, my grandmother, my uncle, you know, just family dynamics that are complicated and heavy and just acknowledging all of that and yeah, expressing that. So beautiful. Mm. I feel like I need to up my Samhain game. <laughs> I want to like ensure that I enter into communion with myself and feel what's really here and what's in me that's beyond me that's influencing me so thank you so much mm. and we have this question that we ask every guest at the end and I am going to pass to Shana to ask it so if the divine mother herself the sovereignty goddess were to speak through you what would she have you say? Wow, that just brought tears to my eyes and it just feels really, really strong. And it's very simple. Remember where you come from. Remember where your ancestors come from and remember the lands that you come from. Thank you so much, Tara, for being here. Thank you for having me. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Time of the Feminine podcast. It's so fun and such a privilege to have these conversations with these incredible guests. We ask that you follow them, support them, like their work, buy their books. And it's an even greater privilege and honor that you, sister, are listening. And so we want to give back to you. If this episode was meaningful, let us know by giving us a review and come join us in Circle. Every new moon, we have a donation-based circle. No woman is turned away. So come, sit, show your face, listen, be a part of the community, and let us dive deeper and do this work together in action, in practice, together in sisterhood. 
And for those of you who are already holding space and want to dive deeper into this art, you are invited to take Sacred Facilitator or any of our facilitation programs that we have throughout the year. So go to globalsisterhood.org to learn more or follow us at the Global Sisterhood on Instagram. Episodes drop every single Thursday and we have some really beautiful episodes in store. So until then, loves, much love and a big, big hug.